This is Great Day Nation, presented by Vegas Insider. I'm your host, Morton Anderson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the COVID-19 negative co-host, Tommy Freezepop. Congratulations, my friend. You are in the clear for now. How does it feel? I feel good, Morton. Uh, literally, right before we started recording this week's episode, I received the text from the Rhode Island Health Department. I am COVID negative. So, yes, feeling good, feeling healthy, heading into this podcast. Let's face it. Tom Carroll, Freeze Pop, is built differently, and the virus never had a chance. It took a look at Tom and said, no, not today, not ever. And so it's Tom Carroll and family one, virus zero. That's right. They wanted no part of this, Morton. Absolutely I, no part of this. I love it. It's it's uh you know, I could have I could have predicted this, but you have to go through the the motion. And uh, you know, I of course have the antibodies, just got tested again for that. And I had it back in March, so they're still uh circulating in my body. I have given blood been able to help hopefully somebody who has been afflicted with covid and uh so yeah it's a it's a weird one man but uh regardless tom what do we have this week well we got ron jaworski on the podcast this week you had a great conversation with him we're going to hear that in a little bit one of the smartest guys in the football world jaws in a little bit here. Then I'll be joined by Kevin Rogers from VegasInsider.com, another really smart guy. He's going to talk to us about week 17 of the NFL season and the college football playoff. And as always, we'll close things out with your weekly game winner. So we have a lot of great stuff planned for you guys. But Morton, before we get into that, I feel like you'll get a kick out of this, no pun intended. I lost my fantasy football league this year, and I know you're all feeling very sorry for me. Everyone loves when people talk about their fantasy team, but coming in last place in my league means I have to do a punishment, mm. and this year's punishment really sucks. Uh, what What is it? Do you have to go into an icy lake, take a <laughs> bath? Uh, what possibly could be that bad? Yeah, no polar plunge, thankfully, because that would really suck too. But this is pretty bad. I have to sit at a diner for 24 straight hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's awful, man. I am not looking forward to I this have, anyway. Okay, I have a piece of advice, Tom, if you, if you want to hear it. Okay. Make sure you find a diner with a full bar. <laughs> That's a great call. Come See, on. I, I live in Missouri. I feel like that would exist in Missouri, a full bar diner. Yeah, bacon and eggs. You know, I'll have the number six blue plate and a bourbon on ice. <laughs> that, that would just sound a lot better. Doesn't it sound better than, you know, oh, give me some you know, scrambled eggs, bacon, and, uh, and toast. But here, here, if you can add that element in there and then you can make it a party you can have banners you can invite people you can book slots so you you what you would do is you would organize the 24 hours because initially just go i would go in thirsty and hungry number one i think i would start at midnight because then you can go home and sleep when you're done yeah because then at midnight the next day you you know I would part, and then I would I would go easy from that first six hours, you know. But I would invite people every hour, have different guests. Here's one of the caveats: you bring up a good point. So if people from the league visit me at the diner and buy me an item off the menu of any type, it takes an hour off the 24 hours. But oh. I live in St. Louis; all of my friends live in Providence, Rhode Island, so oh. no one. You're for this. Yeah, I'm screwed. So I'm going to have to do the full 24 uh, unless people are willing to make a trip, which I doubt. So, Could you do cutouts of them? Could you make <laughs> cutouts and have them in there like COVID state? Yeah, see if I can get them to pledge ahead of time that they will pay for an item and then get cardboard cutouts every few hours, bring them out. So there's, that's the only way to buy down time. In other words, yep, that's you're, it. you're screwed. I'm so screwed. <laughs> I would lean heavily on the alcohol and uh, and and local flavor. I would, you know, even if you can find a couple of people that hang around diners. I don't know, mostly, you know, I don't go to diners that much. <laughs> so, but there's always some very interesting people uh, in yeah. diners, especially like at three, four a.m. I was going to say, yeah, especially at twenty-four hour diners, you'll run into those truckers that have great stories. You know, yeah. 
up for a quick coffee at 245. Oh, man. So gritty. And, and, and in St. Louis, no less. I mean, I, wow. Okay. I feel like I feel like we should record a podcast while I'm at this diner. Just throw up the squad cast and I can kind of just give you updates. You know, I'll, do you think Ron Jaworski – he would be a perfect guy to have come join you like at 3 a.m., you know, the Polish rifle. 100%. And I feel like Jaws would be a good guy to have at the diner because he is really good at talking. And you're going to want to have good conversations with people if you have to sit somewhere for 24 straight hours. So you know what, Morton? That's a good time for us to listen to your conversation with Ron Jaworski. Sounds good to me, man. Let's kick it. My guest today is a dear friend, a good friend, a great human being, actually. Not only a great ball player, but what he has accomplished off the field in his post-playing career is truly exceptional. And he has touched lives, not only in the Philadelphia area, but everywhere he goes. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the Great Day Nation, the Polish Rifle. I love it. That is a great Jaws. How good is that, Mort? That is the great nickname. The Polish Rifle, Mort, and Jaws. So you got all kinds of choices when you talk to me. You know, Jaws came because you have the gift of gab. Yes. That was given to you by a coach a while back. And uh, it is because I've been in your company several times, many times in in Atlantic City for your uh, charities, Jaws Playbook, and you do a great job raising money for children's charities in uh, Jersey and Philadelphia and so forth. So I am fully aware that you uh, can keep a conversation going. And I, I read a little bit, you know, I did a little bit of research on you, not a lot, but I did enough that I know you had an opportunity to meet the Pope, John Paul II, I believe it was, when he came in, in the 70s to Philadelphia. And it was you and a teammate. Can you talk about the time you met, uh, I mean, come on, the Pope? The Pope was visiting Philadelphia, and Jim Murray, our general manager, uh, was involved with bringing the Pope to Philadelphia. And, uh, of course, it was the heyday of, of our Eagle team. We were a Super Bowl team in 80, and the Pope came to town and uh, got these gold medals from him, myself and Joe Pasarczyk. Joe was the backup quarterback for the Eagles at the time. And since we were both of Polish descent, uh, we got these medals from the Pope. Unfortunately, it didn't help us in the Super Bowl because we lost the Super Bowl <laughs> to the Oakland Raiders at that time. But uh, what a tremendous honor. You go to Youngstown State, and apparently they like to throw the forward pass. Was that the start of where you knew you were going to throw the ball a bunch? Yeah, Morton. It was actually, you know, I, when I was coming out of high school, I grew up outside of Buffalo in a suburb called Lackawanna, New York. Yep. And I was recruited by about 35 colleges, and I visited a lot of schools, Pitt, Penn State, Boston College, Boston U, Wyoming, Georgia Tech, Florida. But I was about six foot two and about 159 pounds coming out of high school. You know, I was a skinny kid. And I'm visiting all these major college programs. I'm like, man, I'm not ready for this yet. My body hasn't grown yet. It hasn't filled out. So we took a, a visit to Youngstown, my dad and I. And uh, th- this is one of the great recruiting coups of all time, by the way. My dad was in, in the lumber business. He worked at a place called Zolad's Lumber in Buffalo. And Dyke Beattie was the coach at Youngstown State. You know, this, this is the late 60s, early 70s, so coaches actually taught as well. So <laughs> they just didn't coach. He was a forestry instructor. So I come down to visit Youngstown, and I spend more time with Jim Vicarella, who was the recruiting coordinator. My dad spent all the time with the head coach. And since they had the synergy with wood and lumber, Dyke Beatty worked my dad over and convincing my dad that I should go to Youngstown State. So we go through the whole tour, the whole nine yards, and we leave Youngstown. We're going back to Lackawanna. We're in the car going home, and my dad says, you know, I like that Dyke Beatty. I think you ought to go to Youngstown State. On the same time, Jim Vicarella, the recruiting coach, says, if you come here, you're going to throw 35 times a game. That's what I wanted to hear. Dad and I heard what we wanted to hear. I ended up going to Youngstown State and threw it 35 times a game. That set you up for that pro career. I mean, 17 years in the league and, and you get drafted by the Rams. It doesn't go great there, right? I mean, you're sitting on the bench. You do play one year and you had success. You go to the playoffs. But the Rams were certainly not where we know you from. I mean, that's Philly and we'll get to that. 
just talk to me a little bit about your time in Los, you know, in Los Angeles and what it was like. I mean, Dick Vermeil, who later became the coach of the Eagles, was there as a special teams coach when you were there. And running backs coach. And so running backs coach. So right there was the start of a beautiful relationship, right? No question. And more than I can tell you, I loved LA. I've been four years in Los Angeles. I'm a you know, kid from, you know, small town, Lackawanna, New York, go to Youngstown State. Here I am in Tinseltown. You know, I mean it's like the greatest thing in the world. Unfortunately, there was always a quarterback controversy in LA. It was Roman Gabriel had just left. John Hadle had just come in. James Harris just come in. I had just come in. It was always kind of a revolving door. And this was still in my development time where I wanted to play. I probably wasn't ready to play, but eventually coaches got me ready to play. But I had just sensed in LA that it was going to be the same revolving door at quarterback. So I felt I needed to get out of there. And Dick Vermeil was in Philadelphia four years later. He knew of my talent. So he felt, hey, I'm going to bring this clay, not quite molded yet, not quite formed yet, but with a lot of talent. And he brought me to Philadelphia and he he killed me more. And I'm telling you, he, he worked oh, yeah. me hard. He worked me hard in the offseason, 35, 36,000 throws every offseason, working on every basic fundamental mechanic you do. So he he molded me into an NFL quarterback. That's why when I hear sometimes players whining about the coaches too hard on me, I said, you're out of your mind. If you want to be great, you better accept coaching. And I, I had a dick for meal. I had a Hall of Fame Sid Gilman. You know, I had talent, but they got the talent out of me. To me, and you said you liked L.A. and, and Tinseltown, and I can see many reasons why you would. But let's face it, here you are, you're of Polish descent. You're a pretty guy, you know, you're a blue collar guy. I that's how I see you anyway, yep. you know, and your you're dad right. and your dad was, you know, and, and you come from that family. And so going to Philadelphia to me, what a perfect match for you. It had to be a love affair, and clearly it is because you're still there and you're still so involved in that community. And I've spent time in Philly, and you know, I'm I have no relationship with Philly other than quite honestly, I know. I know a few guys, including you, and I love going there because they keep it real, right? It's so raw and unfiltered and pure in, in its dirty way, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, no. It, you know, it, it's an ethnic community, which is where I grew up in you know, Lackawanna. There were the Polish people, the Italian people, African-American. It was, it was a melting pot. I grew up in a steel town. There were 20,000 people worked at Bethlehem Steel. So the only thing I knew was hard work. That was all I knew. That's why I loved L.A., but it was different for me, man. It was, you know, it was L.A. You know, it was Rodeo Drive. I, it was Marina Del Rey. You know, that wasn't me. I, I was a guy that, you know, worked in the summer in the steel mill, got down and dirty, and worked in the roller department, which is steel rolled down, and you moved it out of the way. I, that's what I did. So uh, as much as I loved L.A., it wasn't me. Philly was me. Philly was, you, you mentioned, the blue-collar guys that, you know, they paid their $40 a ticket, and if you win, they're going to love you. If you lose, they're going to hate you. You know, that, that's they lost their $5 bet at the local bookie. You know, they weren't happy. You know, so, but <laughs> but that, that's what I was used to. That was my environment. And you went there, and you take the ride with Dick Vermeer. Now, in the beginning, it's a building process. Mm -hmm. And I want to, if you don't mind, I would like to kind of surround your experience and, and those first years, at least, by mentioning the movie uh, Invincible, which I loved, which is about a 30-year-old bartender, Vince Papal. And so you were there a couple of years with him, not the first year, but I believe this the two years you were there in, I believe, 1977, 78. Help me understand, help our listeners to understand how that whole building process that Dick Vermeil, you know, that you were part of, you were a very integral part. I mean, you were the guy, uh, you know, and you you are known as the best quarterback, arguably, in, in Philadelphia Eagles history. That's in my opinion anyway, okay? You can argue with Randall Cunningham. He was great. But to me, you know, it's Ron Jaworski. So help us understand from the very start in Philly now with Dick Vermeil and his vision, how that whole thing evolved, because people weren't buying in in the beginning. As you mentioned, Dick Vermeil likes to work you. Yeah. And, and, and you got to remember, uh, when Dick Vermeil came to Philadelphia in 1976, the Eagles hadn't been in the playoffs in 16 years. 16 years without getting the playoffs. It was an abysmal football team. It was an abysmal program. Dick Vermeil comes there the first year. He's not exactly embraced by the players because he is kicking butt, you know. He's weeding guys out that want to pay the price for success. You know, the team was fat and it was lazy. And, and so he started weeding those guys out. So I come in the, after year one, and I come from L.A., playoffs four straight years, two NFC championship games, didn't make it to the Super Bowl. But, man, I come there, I'm thinking winning. You know, I'm, I come in the locker room, I'm preaching win, win, win. And guys are looking at me like, 
<laughs> you haven't been to Philly yet. You know, you don't know. You don't. But I say, you better trust this guy that's in charge. You better trust this guy. He's a winner. He knows how to win. You know, you got to sacrifice to be successful. There's a price to be paid for success. If you want to have that revolving door of two years in the league and out of here, then keep working like you're working. So we worked our tail off in the offseason. I mentioned those 35,000, 36,000 balls I was throwing. And by the way, running those routes were Harold Carmichael, Charlie Smith, Mike Quick, guys that were willing to then pay the price for success. And all of a sudden, we win five games. We win seven games. We win nine games. We win 11. It, 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 the wins kept piling up because we were willing to sacrifice for the success. It doesn't come. I mean, the NFL is hard, man. People have no idea how hard and competitive it is. And you're, if you're not willing to put the work in, there is no way in hell you're going to be successful. You know, before I came on, I told you I did my podcast with Peyton Manning. And that's exactly what we were talking about. You've got to put the work in, the film study, the off the field, the off season, all those things. You've got to put the work in if you want to last in this league and if you want to win in this league, because you know the average career in the NFL more than 3.1 years. By the time you're 25, you're out of here. So you better you better work hard at it. Dick Lamille was my coach in Kansas City and for two years. His famous saying was, you don't own that locker. You rent it. And and that nameplate will slide in and out real fast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do you think, now, do you think in Philly, Jaws, that him having open tryouts, and I go back to the movie Invincible and Vince Papal, and which gave him, the open tryouts gave Vince an opportunity to, to showcase himself. Do you think having those open tryouts in the early days of his stint there in Philly, did that send a message to everybody that no one's safe and that we're trying to find the best ball players here? Yeah, I agree with him, Ward. I think there, there was a message being sent to the team, but also, you know, they, they were trying to find players. And Vince, Vince was the perfect guy. He was 30 years old. He never played college football. He played semi-pro football. He went to St. Joe's University on a track scholarship. So he goes to the trial camp, and Dick sees this guy and says, you know what? This embodies my program. These are the kind of guys I want on my team. So Vince is covering kickoffs. He's busting the wedge. He's doing everything. So he is now showing these prima donna guys, the high draft choices or whatnot, the underachievers, that these are the kind of guys I want. So the background of the story is 100% true. These are the guys that Dick Vermeule wanted on his team, the overachievers, not the underachievers. And he was a local Italian kid. And it's, it is a made-for-movie story because he comes in and as a wide receiver, and as you said, on special teams, he excels, wasn't a star player, but... The three years he was there made a huge impact, I would think, on the culture of the team, to your point. And, and the culture of the city. Now, remember at the time, Rocky movie is the number one hit. So you got the overachiever from South Philly, the Italian guys, the Italian market. You know, it was pure Philadelphia. And, and, and I mean, you, you couldn't have scripted a movie any better. It just it wasn't scripted. It played out in real life. So the movie's doing great, although that's a movie. But Vince was real life. Real football, the kid from Philadelphia, from South Philadelphia. You know, you couldn't have expected it. So as now your team is getting better and you're starting to win and the program is starting to work, people are buying in and you are right in the middle of it. What kind of role did Dick Vermeil basically, I don't want to say mandate to you, maybe? Once he knew he had the right people, because you had to be, you know, you were the guy and you were going to sling the rock and he had, now you had the pieces. Did your role change at that point, or was it always, hey, I'm, I'm the quarterback, and you know I want to get as good as possible, and let's win some Super Bowls. Let's get there. The same effort was put in into the offseason when we were 5-11 and 11 as we were when we were 11-5. You know, and five. It was just the attitude and the atmosphere and the environment, the culture as we talk about now, that was already set in place. I would say Coach Ramil probably could back off a little bit because mm-hmm. now the players took the lead. Yeah. Now we've got players assuming the lead role because – Culture has actually developed, and, and I'm in business as well, and I don't develop the culture. My people develop the culture. If I don't surround myself with the right people to develop a strong culture, I have no chance for success. Now, clearly, you know, you push them in a direction that you want them to go, but eventually they develop the culture, and that's going to happen in Philadelphia. It started with Dick Vermeil, but the players bought in, then the players promoted the culture. 
I was really interested in reading about the book you wrote, The Games That Changed the Game. You break down film from seven of the biggest contests of the last like 50, 60 years, right? And then you give the readers a, a drive-by, play-by-play. And I thought that was one of your strengths when you moved into broadcasting, you and Mel Hodge. You guys were so good at making sense of a very complicated game sometime, a very technical game. Can you share with me a little bit some of the main themes from the book about how you saw the game change and in, in what way were the biggest things that our listeners kind of can go, ah, aha, yes. Well, I think what we all have to, to understand, Morton, the game is ever-changing. It changes not only from year to year. You know, I still look at tape. I have an office at NFL Films. I, You know, I'll, I'll look at the All-22. The game is different, a lot different now than when I played it or the guys that preceded me. But I've always been a, a football wonk. I was a Buffalo Bills fan. I grew up just outside of Buffalo. I had season tickets by myself when I was 11 years old, 12 years old, going to the old rock pile in Buffalo, section 23, row 13, seat three. Here, I still remember my. That's good. I love it, man. You were a Yeah, I loved football, you know? So when I decided to write the book, and I, you know, I used Greg Cosell and Dave Plout, who are a couple of my dear friends in the football world. They're research guys. They're film guys. They're NFL films guys where it just reeks of football. It's all football when you walk in NFL films. And I said, guys, you know, it's going to take some work. And it took us two years to find games that we thought changed the game. We found at that time they were the Boston Patriots playing the San Diego Chargers, Sid Gilman's team. And mm-hmm. Sid Gilman, to me, is still the father of the modern-day passing game. We, we found an old film in a museum. NFL Films didn't even have this, this film. It was in a museum in Boston. And we found this tape and showed the San Diego Chargers against the Boston Patriots at the time. And, and I used that as one of my games. because It really vindicated what Sid Gilman was all about and verified his thought process. Receivers split wide, attacked the field horizontally as well as vertically. It, it was a game that you know, just kind of, to me, showed the, at that time, in the early 60s when the AFL, this was the AFL days, the American Football League before the merger, and why the NFL saw them as a threat because, man, it was scoring, high scoring, it was fun football, and you know players were loose, and it wasn't as rigid as the NFL. But that game showed me something. But unbeknownst, as I'm going through that tape, I'm, I'm doing the Chargers offense, but I, I see the Patriots defense. There was a guy named Larry Eisenhower. It's 1963, and he's in a three-point stance. He's brushing the quarterback, but then he drops out in the zone coverage. And everyone's talking about, well, you know, the new NFL, these zone ski. I said, no, 1963, they were doing the same thing. But, you know, we didn't have the volume of people watching the game, the number of shows that talk about it. So as much as the game changes, it stays the same. So Dick Vermeule and Buddy Ryan, completely different animals, oh, right? Yeah. So, so you, and I, I was talking to Jim McMahon a couple of days ago, and, you know, he had Buddy Ryan in Arizona when Buddy was a, a head coach there. And Buddy just, he hated anything but defensive player. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, you know. Everything. He so, hated quarterback, everything, Buddy. If you played offense, he hated you. <laughs> so what was your relationship with Buddy Ryan? Buddy came to Philly in, in 86, and I kind of knew that was, like, going to be the end of my career. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of I, I knew that, you know. Everything with, with Buddy's about the He couldn't call an offensive play. Hey, and he was a great defensive coordinator. He should have stayed a defense quitter, stayed at what he was good at. He was a horrible head coach. We never won anything with him in Philly, never won anything with him in Arizona. I mean, he, he was a, a media darling, but never won anything. But I knew when he came to Philly, I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Are we heading towards a Carson Wentz Eagles breakup? We're getting close. I, I don't think we're there. Certainly, um, I, I am shocked by the way Carson has played this year. Uh, he's an incredibly talented young man. I look at the all 22 of every game. Of the 12 games he has started, he's had what I would call two NFL standard games where he played up to the standard of an NFL quarterback. The other 10 he has not. And after looking at the tape of the Green Bay game, I said, it's time to make a change. This young man needs to go to the sideline, take a deep breath, re-energize his batteries, get a new perspective. He has too much talent to be playing the way he's playing right now. I think he will get another opportunity, and he'll be better for it. What's your analysis on Doc Peterson, you know, on his era since winning the Super Bowl? I mean, where are we at with Doc Peterson here? Well, he's built up a lot of capital. I mean, in, in 2017, the Eagles won a Super Bowl, first one ever. Obviously, Doug, the head coach, head coach has a lot to do with it. 
The next year, they go to the playoffs again. They win a playoff game. 2019, they go to the playoffs again. Actually, Carson Wentz has the last four games with a depleted football team. He plays fantastic. They don't win a playoff game, but the last three years, they won a Super Bowl and a playoff game and had winning records. So that's building up capital. In this pandemic era, and Morton, I'm actually disappointed Detroit fired Matt Patricia. Bill O'Brien got fired in Houston and Dan Quinn in Atlanta. I don't think you can truly evaluate a coach, a general manager, even players in this pandemic era. The world is upside down, and I don't think it's fair to those guys. And I think it would be unfair to Doug Peterson to think that, oh, we could let him go and be better for it. I appreciate that a lot because I thought that was very early on the trigger in those instances. I agree with you because it's apples and oranges that you're comparing, really, when you're looking for results. How would you like to be Vic Fangio out in Denver? And uh, like on Friday, you find out you don't have a quarterback. A quarterback, and you're going to hold that coach accountable? Come on, you can't do it. So let me play what if with you here with the Saints for a second. Drew Brees comes back. He's got 11 cracked ribs. He says, listen, I'm going to go into the booth after this year. Will Sean Payton now, will he continue with Taysom Hill and make him a permanent fixture at quarterback, or will he look somewhere else? It's a good what if question, but I, I, I think Taysom Hill will go back to being the backup quarterback. That's what I think would happen. I don't think he's he's a refined quarterback for the NFL, but he certainly has filled in adequately, and he, he gives him that added dimension of being able to run, stretch the field sideline to sideline, and it's worked in this situation. Long term, I don't think it would work. So let me go to Miami Dolphins and Tua Tonga Vailoa. What, what's your impressions, your first impressions of the short work that we've seen from Tua? Uh, very impressed. Uh, I loved him in Alabama. I'd lo- you know, I, I had him ranked very high coming out in the draft. Here, here's what I when, when I look at the tape. You know, he, he's far from a polished pro right now, but he's aware of where people are on defense. And, and, and I always say one of the most overlooked aspect of quarterbacking is vision. He sees the defense with great, great clarity. I say that for, for for this reason, Morton. When I watch his throws and what he's seeing is the position of defensive players opposing his offensive players. And he throws them open. He throws them into space. He's made very few inaccurate throws this year that have hurt his football team. So I think he, he's got great vision and sees the field with clarity. How special is this group we're watching in Kansas City? I mean, are we looking at an all-time great offense here? Then it starts with Mahomes. Well, it starts with their head coach. I mean, it starts with a, a wonderful head coach yeah. who had history in Philly, too. Andy Reid is a great head coach. I would classify Andy as a as a good friend. Uh, we communicate an awful lot. I got to know him very well here in Philadelphia. He was unceremoniously thrown out of town here, but he was hired within 10 minutes because he's a great coach. And maybe he needed a, a, a new scenery and charges batteries, but he's always been a fantastic coach. But what I love about Andy, much like I loved about Don Shula, as you know, I, I spent a couple of years playing under Don Shula in Miami in uh, 87 and 88. And Shula was adaptable. You could win with great defense. You could win with running the football. You could win with throwing the football at Dan Marino. He was a football guy that could adapt. Andy can adapt. You know, he can run it. He's not a guy that wants to run it, but he will run it. He will be very progressive in his passing game. The shifts, the motion, the crazy stuff he does, most offense corners are scared to do it, you know, because they're risky. But he's got a quarterback that he trusts. He's got wide receivers and running back that he trusts. And, oh, by the way, Steve Spagnuolo has come over and quieted that defensive down. It's now a solid, not a great defense, but a rock-solid defense. So you take that dynamic offense with a good defense, it's going to be hard to upend the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Yeah, they're dynamic, and, and, and you can scheme and defend against the scheme, if you will, but you cannot defend against this freelance where a quarterback decides he's just going to he's just gonna riff. You know, it's like a, a, a jazz musician, and yep. all of a sudden— that's not part of the, you know, the song. Yeah, that's and, not part, man. It's, no, and no. it's gone. Yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes. You know, there, there are two guys that have really drove me crazy as quarterbacks. One was Brett Favre, and one is Patrick Mahomes. Pretty good company, those two guys, right? Oh, but I, yeah. I was, I was always one of these very rigid mechanically, you know, arm angle, throwing slot, footwork on balance, all that stuff. You know, I would look at Tate or Brett Favre and go, ah, oh, man, that's all wrong. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. It's 40 yards downfield on the money. <laughs> <laughs> I look at Mahomes and go, look at his arm angle. Look at his feet. You can't complete balls like that. 35 yards, throwing across the field, touchdown. You know, those guys just break the mold. They have just incredible God-given talent. 
Guys like me have to work my ass off to get better. Those guys just natural talent. Josh, you've had such a rich life, you know, not only on the field, but off the field. And, and you've come in contact with so many great. And you mentioned uh, Don Schuler. We've talked about Dick Vermeil and Buddy Ryan. Let me just throw these names at you and you can just interject anything. Marty Schottenheimer. Phenomenal. You know, Marty was one of the finest people I've ever been around. And, you know, I, I'd always been around like a lot of screaming coaches, like, you rah, rah, that sort of stuff. Marty, as you know, was very cerebral, very thoughtful kind of guy. And uh, you know, he would always use the word trust all the time. Trust your teammate, trust your coaching staff, trust the organization. And it, it's funny now, as I, as, as I continue to do my TV work and radio work with Westwood One, calling games and all that, but I'm a businessman as well. I use the word trust an awful lot because I learned that from Marty. You can't be successful if you don't trust the people you work with, as we did as players, but in business, the same thing. you got to surround yourself with people that you can trust. So that's what I learned from Marty Schottenheimer. I have a saying that I use a lot. It's trust your hopes, not your fears. I'm going to use that. I'm going to, I'll give you credit. <laughs> and another one that I heard from uh, Craig, who is a goalie, a hockey goalie on the Olympic team, oh, yeah. Yeah. Jim Craig, You're he Craig. said, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. I really like that. You know, I've actually seen Jim Craig at some motivational speaking, and uh, he's very motivational. He's a great hang and a great conversation, just like you are. All right, Bill Cower. Bill Cower was my teammate with the Philadelphia Eagles. He was the captain of our special teams. If you would have asked me in 1984 and 85 and say, that Bill Cower guy, do you think he could be a head coach and win Super Bowls? I would have said, hell no. Crazy. <laughs> There's no way he's going to do it. And look at the great success that he has been. So sometimes you just don't know. But that, this, like, that was the mid-'80s. Then I go to Kansas City, and Bill is there with Tony Dungy on Marty Schottenheimer's defensive staff. And five years later, I saw a different Bill Cower. I saw Bill Cower as the coach, the leader, the organizer, not the maniac football player that we are when we're playing the game. <laughs> so, so he really changed his personality from a guy that was a special teams captain and a highly motivated guy and a wedge buster and all those things to play the game of football. He did what he had to do, but he became a coach much more cerebral. So at the end of the day, I'm not surprised at Bill's success. Tom Coughlin. It's interesting, too. Tom was a wide receivers coach with the Eagles when I was playing as well. And, and Tom, I love Tom because he was all about discipline and I can give you an example. I love giving examples. So Tom's our wide receiver coach. We got Mike Quick, who's, uh, by the way, in the Eagles Hall of Fame, really good receiver. So you're at the, you're at the practice field and you got an O cut. And, you know, it's how many steps you're going to break. Left foot's got to be inside. Drive to the outside and work back, all that. It's supposed to be at 10 yards. And one day, Mike runs this route. And he ends up long on the route. Takes like two steps further. And Coughlin just gets in his face, you know, just, hey, you got to hit that. You got to give Ron the indicator. You got to give Ron the hit when that ball's coming out. So Mike comes back to the huddle. He's like, you know, bitching and everything else like we do as players. And I'm like thinking, that's great. Tom Coffin just chewed his ass out. I can't go out there and chew Mike out. He's my teammate and all that. I, I would do it in a nice way. Hey, Mike, make sure you're at 10. But and it resonated with Mike. Mike knew that he had to hit that break at 10 yards. So Tom Coffin was a strong disciplinarian, but he knew what it took to be successful. Bruce Arians. Yeah, you mentioned more guys that I in 1989. I'm in Kansas City. He's the running backs coach with the Kansas. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah, I got a connection to everyone. It seems more. <laughs> I know it. I mean, I'm looking at the list. Yeah, Bruce makes the game. He made the game fun when I was on for one year, and he still makes the game fun. He doesn't claim to be the greatest, you know, head coach in sliced bread, and doesn't promote himself. He knows football. He knows people. It'll be interesting to watch this. Tampa Bay team this week after a week off and see how he's tweaked this offense with Tom Brady. But I'm a big Bruce Arians guy. All right, man. Tony Dungy. Tony, same thing. Like I mentioned earlier, Tony, I played against Tony as a player. So in 80, in uh, 89 in Kansas City, he was the defensive coordinator, you know, with Bill Cower and that whole group that was there at the time. Kurt Schottenheimer was Marty's brother, was also on that defensive staff. So you, you just knew Tony was one of those deep thinkers, smart guy, wasn't loud, wasn't vocal, but he was one of those guys, you know, he spoke very quiet, forced you to listen very hard. Spoke soft, you listen hard. I, I love all of them, and, and I've met most of them, and I, I agree with you. They're just, they're different personalities, but they have a couple of things in common. And you mentioned discipline, you mentioned trust. I think successful people in general 
have those qualities as their cornerstone mm-hmm. in, in their life. You certainly have. And, and I know you do a lot of public speaking. I know you have uh, very successful businesses. You've owned a, an arena football team, the, the Philadelphia Soul, I believe. Right. Right? Three-time champion. Three-time champion. Yeah, well, let's get that in there. And you've had a great broadcasting career, and you still do. And so you, you have had ample opportunity. So give me your top three, and you're not allowed to use discipline and trust now, but as a, as a thought leader, which I consider you, Give me a top three, like, go-to thoughts for leaders today and for, for successful high performers. I think more probably number one, my parents. Uh, they, they taught me the dignity of work, that, you know, if you work hard, good things will happen. Here I am, 69 years old, and I, I love going to work every day. You know, it's not even work to me. People call it work, but it's, 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 it's a passion. But it really was, if, if you think back, it's kind of the, the foundation of your parents and how, how they what, what they taught you. So I'm grateful to my parents, the way they brought me up and taught me the dignity of work. And that's very important. And, and, I, and I think leadership is critical. And there are so many ways to lead. And, you know, we were talking about different coaches. There are some guys that are screamers and hollers and, you know, hollers and yellers. And then there are some guys who are calm and collective. And there are a lot of different ways to lead. Some people lead by example. Some people lead by telling you. But I, I think leadership is absolutely critical. And, and each individual's got to determine how they're going to lead. What is going to be my leadership style? And, and probably the third thing is is be honest with people. But the one thing that, that I've learned, and I, I and I've made mistakes, and 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 I've learned from those mistakes. In, in fact, I had to fire someone one day, a manager at one of my clubs. And, and after I fired him, he asked me a lot of questions, you know, and I realized probably I didn't train him the right way. I had to fire him, but I probably should have like weeks before said, hey, you're not living up to the standard of our company. And I should have gave him that opportunity to correct it. And I learned from that point, you know, that it was important to be honest with people. Hey, you're not getting the job done. If, if you don't improve, you know, I'm going to have to let you go. So I think being honest with people, and, and at the end of the day, they respect that more than giving a bunch of BS. Be honest with people. So those are kind of quick things that come to mind, Morton. When I think of you, Jaws, I think of a human being who empowers people. And whether that's through a learning process where we make mistakes, but we move on and we don't do the same mistake again, it's the empowerment part that I really, that, that resonates with me when I think of you, not only you know, through your businesses, but through your Jaws Youth playbook and what you do with those uh, in the greater Philadelphia region with at-risk youth. Talk to me just a little bit about that because, you know, I'm 60, you're 67. Oh, well, I'm giving you two years. (laughs) You're young. You're a young puppy. But as we get older, right, and with age comes wisdom and levity and and also perspective and and a sense of what's my legacy, you know, when I'm gone and when I'm with God above, what's my legacy? I don't want to get heavy here, but yeah. it does cross my mind. You know, what what will people say about Ron Jaworski when when you're gone and what would you like them to say? Yeah. And, 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 and you know, you've been to my events. My, my yeah, it's great. Events, and um, it, it's probably one of the things that I am most proud of, my wife and my family is most proud of. You know, people are going to forget the touchdown passes and the broadcasts and all that. But when you see young people prosper because of things you did for them, that's important. You know, I reach out to my brothers and professional football players. You come to my golf tournament every year. That goes a long way. Hall of Famer, more dancers come to your pair with some sponsors. They're thrilled. They come back. They make donations. And Last Tuesday, we gave away 200 bikes to the boys and girls. I saw that. And you see these kids come in. They're getting a brand new spanking bike, a helmet, a lock, and they leave there with Santa, giving them a high five. And that is just awesome. And through my golf tournaments, through my fundraisers, Cigar Party to Super Bowl, we've raised over $6 million for at-risk youth in our community. So those are tangible. You know, we make a difference in our community. So you know, it, it, and you know the brotherhood. You're everywhere. You're promoting things, doing things to help other people. We're all former players, but we're still active players. Yeah, because we, of that. I have a foundation, a family foundation, Morton Anderson Family Foundation. We we touch a lot of people here in Atlanta, and our motto is very simple: What you give will grow, and what you keep will perish. It's yeah. heavy, right? And it's yeah. it's it's telling. 
that's what I think of when I think of you, Joss, is that you give more than you take. And I tell that to my kids, you know, give more than you take and leave this place a better place. And I really feel your legacy is cemented. You keep working on it. I'm aware of that. You're, we're all we're all works in progress. Thank God. Well, Warren, you got something going on. Let me know. Who knows oh, yeah. what happened with the Super Bowl and the cigar party, but I yeah. haven't canceled it yet. <laughs> Not yet. Good. I'm still hoping this virus will go away through this vaccine that's coming out right now. So hopefully bigger and better things are in store because it's been a rough 2020. I know it, man. We'll, we'll just jet pilots don't look in the rear view mirror. We got to look ahead. You got it, my friend. Freeze Pops, I feel alive. I feel revitalized. Every time I talk to Jaws, you know, there's certain human beings in life that uh, you just walk away feeling richer. And I have that with Ron Jaworski. He's got so much knowledge and so much energy just pops at you. So loved, loved, loved my conversation with Jaws. And I'll have more on Jaws, of course, in my Game Winner segment at the end of the podcast. But first, Freeze Pops, before we get to your conversation with Kevin Rogers, tell our beloved, smart, intelligent listeners where they can find us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Great Dane Nation. You can follow us on Instagram at Great Dane Nation VI. And you're going to want to listen to Jaws podcast. It's called Jaws Picks with Ron Jaworski. You can check that out on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you can get your podcasts. And now let's get to my conversation with Kevin Rogers from Vegas Insider. VegasInsider.com is the global leader for sports gaming information, and it's your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. Every week, we're joined by one of our Vegas Insider experts to make us a little smarter. And this week, we welcome back Vegas Insider expert and the host of the Bet and Collect podcast, Kevin Rogers. Kevin, Happy New Year. Tom, Happy New Year. 2020 is finally finished. Hopefully, 2021 is a little bit better, but... uh, at least uh, 2020 will be in the rearview mirror, which is good. Yes, thank God. <laughs> Make sure you check out the latest from Kevin on VegasInsider.com. He's got podcasts. He's got picks. The man does it all. And you got to follow him on Twitter, at VI Rogers. And before we get into this week's quick picks, I want to talk with you about the college football playoff, both semifinal games being played on New Year's Day, Our first game has the one seed Alabama Crimson Tide as 20 point favorites over the four seed Notre Dame. Our second game has the two seed Clemson as seven and a half point favorites over the three seed Ohio State. The numbers in both of these games have moved dramatically since opening. What stands out to you heading into Friday? What stands out is that you have two dominant teams in college football and then everyone else. And uh, everyone's assuming it's going to be Alabama Clemson in the national championship, I mean, obviously these games are all games difficult to handicap. If they weren't, then everyone would win. But uh, when you look at the Alabama-Notre Dame game, Alabama can score at will, and we know that. And a lot of people aren't respecting Notre Dame going into this game uh, coming up on New Year's. And, you know, Notre Dame, this is a team that was embarrassed a few years ago by Alabama in the national championship. I know that the only guy there that knows that is Brian Kelly, the head coach. Everyone else wasn't there, so, you know, There's not really a lot of revenge on the minds of the players, but this is still a lot of points to lay for Alabama. And I know favorites have done well in the semifinal round of the college football playoffs since it started a few years ago. I can't really say that I want to lay all those points with Alabama. Also, Notre Dame, the issue I have with them is they haven't been tested a lot this year. They did beat Clemson at home, but that was without Trevor Lawrence. Then Clemson blew him out in the ACC championship. But I mean, they're still getting 20, and they were getting 10 against Clemson in the ACC championship. So probably a little value maybe in Notre Dame. And in the second game, Clemson's beaten Ohio State twice in the college football playoff, including last year. And it seems like Clemson doesn't have a lot of respect, or I should say Davos Swinney doesn't have a lot of respect for Ohio State. With Ohio State, I mean, this is a team that still 6-0. and They struggled in the Big Ten championship against Northwestern. They could be worth a look here because I think a lot of people are, are totally – passing on what they could do and Justin Fields is still a decent quarterback you know Trevor Lawrence will be the number one pick of the draft but I think both the dogs would be worth a look here because a lot of people want to ride the favors with Alabama and Clemson speaking of the number one pick in the draft our first quick pick game 
is between That's a great the Jaguars. Segue. Great segue see that? by you. Perfect segue there for radio. We got the Jaguars at the Colts. Colts 14-point favorites here. Jaguars obviously awful. 1-14. They have the number one pick in the 2021 NFL draft all wrapped up. Trevor Lawrence going to be in Jacksonville next year. Sorry. Sorry about that, Trevor. Kevin, do you like the Colts with that big number? First things first, I think he'll succeed in Jacksonville. It's better than being in New York and getting Ooh. dogged on by the media there. So I think Jacksonville needs some kind of help, any kind of help. Hopefully he's the right guy for them. Now, as far as this game goes, I always have, I want to say a rule, Tom, but but I never like to back big favorites with pressure. And that's the Colts. They need to win to get in. And they're playing with revenge because they lost to Jacksonville back in week one. And we know the Jags haven't won since week one. Now, Jacksonville already securing the one, uh, the number one pick. They don't have any pressure on them coming into this game. They could just go in and they play well. Okay, if they lose, okay, it doesn't matter. They're one in fifteen, and they get Trevor Lawrence coming up uh, next year. Now, with Indianapolis, they're coming off a really tough loss to Pittsburgh this past week. I think that a lot of people will just want to blindly back the Colts. I think Jacksonville could be worth a look here, just because. You have no pressure on you. You could hang in this game. You know you could beat them, even though they did it with Gardner Minshew back in week one. But I just don't want to lay that kind of points with the Colts. I, I really don't when they need to win and they need Tennessee to lose to win the division, that there's a lot of need, need, need going on. Jacksonville's just kind of going in. Let's play. It's the final game of the season. You know, guys still have pride, and that's what a lot of people forget. They think guys tank and they don't care. These guys do care. Uh, I do like the points with Jacksonville, though, here. And you know what? They have Phillip Rivers as their quarterback. And in must-win games, Phillip Rivers' record, not great. <laughs> His record is oh and whatever because he's never been to a Super Bowl. <laughs> right. And But yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's it's on him. He can't make mistakes, you know. And uh, the Colts really have to trust him to keep them in this. And they should be able to show up and win, but, but to lay 14 is a lot. Our next game sees one team with playoff position locked in and another team who can clinch their spot with a win. The 12 and 3 Steelers are at the 10 and 5 Browns. Browns opened up as 4-point favorites, but with news of Big Ben sitting out this week for rest, that number has climbed up to 10. Let's all keep in mind that the Browns just lost last weekend to the 2 and 13 New York Jets. Kevin, how do you see this one playing out? Well, you got to hope if you're the Browns that you get some of your weapons back if Jarvis Landry comes back and get some of the receivers because Baker Mayfield can't do this alone. And obviously a very disappointing and inexcusable loss to the Jets last week. And when you look at Pittsburgh with Mason Rudolph, he's a guy that played last year when Ben Roethlisberger got hurt. Granted, he wasn't great. And we all know what happened when the Steelers played the Browns with the Miles Garrett situation and uh, Mason Rudolph. So this isn't exactly a guy, when you think of all the backups that are playing this week in the NFL, he's a guy that's at least had some experience. So that's got to mean something. I know Pittsburgh's offense has not been great recently, but they're still pretty good defensively. And again, Pittsburgh can lose. Who cares? They lose. Cleveland loses. They could be out. And to lay 10 with the Browns may be asking a lot. I know it's a revenge game. It's a rivalry game. But Mason Rudolph isn't the worst option in the world considering he had plenty of starts last year for the Steelers. I just think that laying 10 with Cleveland may be asking a bit much. Our final game for this week has two NFC West teams that can control their own destinies with a win. The 8-7 and seven Arizona Cardinals at the 9-6 and six Los Angeles Rams. Rams opened up as 4.5-point favorites. That number up slightly to 5. Kevin, who you got? Well, when you look at the this game between the Rams and the Cardinals and – Arizona hoping that Kyler Murray can start considering they win, they'll get in the playoffs and the Rams without Jared Goff this week, that he had the thumb injury against Seattle last week, that the Rams defense has actually been decent. And I know that their offense really couldn't do much against Seattle last week. And they lost to the Jets two weeks ago, which is somewhat inexcusable. I mean, you're a 17 point favorite. There's no reason to lose that game, but the Rams really aren't playing their best, and their quarterback is out. Arizona didn't play well against San Francisco last week, and the Cardinals, I think, are running out of juice a little bit too here at the end. But again, I, I don't know how much I can trust the Rams. I, I really don't. That defensively, they've been fantastic at home this season, and now you're facing Arizona, who still has some weapons, and they have 
the better quarterback. I mean, probably the better quarterback if Kyler Murray played against Jared Goff. But without Goff, I don't know how you can make a case for the Rams. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us again. And before I let you go, tell everyone what you're working on and where they can find it. You can find the Bet and Collect podcast at VegasInsider.com. Got a new episode for week 17. And we also have videos for this week. We're going to look ahead to Washington, Philadelphia, the Sunday night game for the NFC East crown, and also uh, some college football for the college football playoff. We have videos there on our YouTube channel. So just uh, check us out there. And remember to check out VegasInsider.com slash GDN for your free weekly pick for the NFL weekend. That's VegasInsider.com slash GDN. Kevin, we'll talk soon. Tom, thank you so much. Have a happy new year. And now, Morton Anderson's game winner. If it wasn't for the love of lumber, Ron Jaworski may have never attended and played at Youngstown State. His father, who worked for a lumber company, found common ground with a head coach who taught forestry at the university and the path was paved for the Polish pistol. Ron threw the ball 35 times a game and developed into a legitimate NFL prospect. Philadelphia would become the main benefactor of his assets and the city quickly adopted him as their own. That says everything we need to know about Ron Jaworski. He fell in love with Philly and it with him. It is a true love affair based on common values like hard work, honesty, and a workmanlike attitude that both Jaws and the Philly faithful encapsulate. Jaws is deeply involved in his community, represents everything that's good about sports. He has the ability to leverage his vast personal network for the benefit of others, and the impact he has is real and measurable to countless charities and community organizations. Ron understands the bigger picture regarding being a celebrity and community leader, and he uses his leverage brilliantly. He will speak equally effectively with a group of school children as he does with the CEO of a major company or board of directors for a nonprofit organization. He's versatile in his reach, creative in his endeavors, and disciplined in the details of his mission. Jaws likes to work. It is what defines him. His enthusiasm for projects and ideas is contagious. He's a salesman and we're all buying what he's selling. There are a few people in my life that I cannot wait to be around. And when the opportunity presents itself, I go out of my way to be there. Ron Jaworski is one of them. And every time I hang with Jaws, I feel fortunate because I respect him so much and because I always leave feeling energized, inspired, and full of life. Jaws was a game changer on the field in South Philly, and he easily made the transition and became an even bigger influencer and game changer in the boardrooms. The human spirit is alive and well in Philadelphia, and the Polish rifle is right in the middle of it all, making us all better, making us all richer. We'll see you next time. Great Dane Nation is presented by VegasInsider.com, the global leader in sports gaming information and your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. A big thanks to Ron Jaworski for joining us this week, and thanks to Kevin Rogers and the team at Vegas Insider. Remember to visit VegasInsider.com slash GDN for your free weekly pick for the NFL weekend. Great Dane Nation is available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review today.